0: Welcome to Helpful Social Work. Social work has the power to change people's lives for the better. This podcast aims to help you learn, think, and act with integrity so that people who need social work get help that will transform their lives. I'm Jerry. And I'm
1: Jo. And this is our third
0: podcast of our Series 5. It's set about what
1: makes a good social worker. It's recorded in May 2020, and it's going to go out in June 2020. Every month, we're posting a podcast on the second Friday of the month, and this will look at what makes a great social worker. And we started in April with the overall ingredients. And we're now looking at each of the domains of the professional capabilities framework in England. And I've got to say, I'm quite enjoying going through each, each one of these, Jerry, and, and um, sorting and sifting the differences and the similarities between them. It's, a, it's really very interesting and useful.
0: Thanks, Joe, And thank you to everyone who's listening and everyone who's sharing the podcast. And in particular this month, um, we'd like to thank listeners from More far-flung places. So, um, amongst our listeners are people in Cambodia, Kazakhstan, Uganda, Puerto Rico, and the Philippines. So, please do tell us what you think of the podcast, and you can do that on our website www.helpfulsocialwork.com, or by commenting on iTunes or Spotify, or on our Facebook page, Helpful Social Work Podcast. We do want to hear from you. So, this domain is about
1: equality and diversity. And we'll start with what the Professional Capabilities Framework has to say about this domain. There are different levels to the framework, so we've decided to home in on the experienced social worker. So this is practitioners who are experienced in their work, um, and that means that there's something to aim for or something to support any social worker. And it really captures the essence of the domain. So diversity and equality. Recognise diversity and apply anti-discriminatory and anti-oppressive principles in practice. So it goes on to say that social workers understand that diversity characterises and shapes human experience and is critical to the formation of identity. Diversity is multidimensional. We understand that because of difference and perceptions of difference, a person's life experience may include oppression, marginalisation and alienation, as well as privilege, power, and acclaim. We identify this and promote equality. For me, thinking about that statement is so important, you know, and I love the fact that we understand that a person's life is so multidimensional. And so, therefore, you may have had a wide range of experience.
0: I think it was last series we talked about identity and talked about intersectionality, which has that wonderful sense of all these different facets of people's character and experience and um, identity kind of interacting with one another to create mm. a really unique person and the need to understand how that all intersects.
1: So if we go on to think about what, um, what the principles say, they say that they'll inform, guide, I will inform, guide and model good practice in the application of understanding identity, diversity and equality to practice. I will model critically reflective practice and support others to recognize and challenge discrimination, identifying and taking professional action. And I'll come back to that one because I think that's really key. I will act individually or collectively to challenge breaches and limitations in the ability of my own or others' organizations to advance equality and diversity and comply with the law. And I will demonstrate and model the effective and positive use of power and authority whilst recognising and providing guidance to others to avoid oppressive practice. They're very powerful statements of what we need to do in practice. And for me, the modelling of it, the modelling of all of that is just absolutely critical. And it means that you have to be quite courageous, particularly if you look at the one that talks about I will actually challenge breaches and limitations in the ability of my own or others' organisations to advance quality and diversity. You know, it's saying that we need to be aware of ourselves personally and collectively as a social work practitioner.
0: I think it's important to understand what's behind the domain because most people in social work will just agree that those things are good, that equality Mm. and diversity, um, anti oppressive practice, anti-discriminatory practice are good. And we have to kind of think, I think, about what sits behind it and what's the kind of ultimate why. You know, Mm. it says we should do this in practice. Why? Because that's our ethics. Okay. well, but also why? Because it's in law and also why? Because it's um, things that people ask for from us. But all of that comes back to um, something that's really powerfully set out in the UN Convention of Human Rights, which is that um, all people are equal in dignity and worth. And that's a philosophical position. Um, and it's it's at the heart of everything that we're trying to do it's also um, something that is beneficial to all to act on so there's really interesting research around the benefits of equality and the benefits of recognizing diversity and I think as well as kind of Theoretically, saying this is good, I think we need to talk about practically why it's good. So, for example, the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, in its 2020 study looking at well-being in member countries, which is primarily countries in the kind of global north, um, also South America and um, and others, looked at the countries with higher average levels of well-being, tending to have greater equality between population groups and also fewer people living in deprivation. So. It's not just a nice to have, it's also benefits everyone. And I think um, there's also really interesting research around the benefits of diversity, actually led by private sector research McKinsey um, in 2019. Their report on diversity wins um, found that where executive teams had better gender diversity and better ethnic diversity, companies performed better. Um, and a lot of that is to do with creativity and diversity of ideas, and also, I suppose, the general ethos of those organisations.
1: I love the fact that there are both practical motivators for behaving ethically, as well as the principles that are of of right um, that sit with us. And certainly for myself, just you know, I have a, a very small company, but We're very diverse, and I I find that um, really, really helpful. For me, that diversity is is a strength in our profession. It's something to be celebrated. You know, uh, we need to attract people from different backgrounds and identities, and we actually serve people from many different backgrounds and identities, and we need to respond to the diverse needs of those we work with. And my practice and my personal value base is so much the richer for standing next to someone.
0: Who looks at the same view differently? Yeah, and there's there's something also I wanted to mention today about the the sort of social cost of inequality. That's a really mm. live issue at the moment in in England particularly, which is about deaths in care homes. So we we're not only um, getting a lot of evidence of the impact of COVID 19 on care homes and the the number of people who've died, but also evidence of opportunities to um, protect those people being missed because of all kinds of reasons that might come to light, but I think um, linked to a fundamental inequality in regard for people um, who need care and support. Compared with other members of the population, and social care I think, I think that's right. And We health. could also
1: add there that there's still evidence that, as you say, needs to be looked at further. But there's evidence coming out that there are there are different groups that are affected by COVID um, differently, and that the age is one of them. But there's also black and ethnic minority groups, um, and we are finding around the world that there are certain groups that are impacted differently, and we really need to think about what
0: that's about. Um,
1: And And what role
0: inequality plays in that? I think that's right. I think the cost is not just the loss of those important people, um, but also the kind of whole society sadness and anger and um, I don't know, all kinds of really negative emotions that come about because of that, um, which yes, yeah, a, impacts on everyone. Yes, it's a fracturing in
1: the society, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and the spaces that it builds between us. I think Mona Lisa, one of my colleagues, talks about this really well, that you've got to look at the space around what's being said mm-hmm. and what's in the margins. And I think that we'll find that, there, as you say, there's, there's going to be a lot of cost um, about how we feel and think and behave as nations there's gonna we're gonna really test ourselves aren't we, and have to look hard at ourselves after this
0: yeah, <laughs> so if we can talk um particularly about social work um, mm. why equality and diversity matters in social work um and what and what this looks like, I guess.
1: So there's some key models um, that we could think about, so some key elements of social work thinking, like the social model that was um, developed in the 1970s by Mike Olive, Um, and this was really trying to move us away from a deficit model that had been traditional until then. Um, This model has a focus on people's strengths and encourages the removal of barriers that restrict life choices, or the reduction of their efforts so that people have choice and control and and more energy and ability to be able to get on and live a positive life. And, and I think we're still working with that model. We, certainly in children's, strength-based model is, is, a, is a really big thing, and I know in adults as well with the personalisation and everything. Um, radical social work developed in the 70s, and this has remained a strong strand in social work, and this is really where we focus the critique um, on individual social work, and we emphasise the need to address the social causes of distress. And for me, this is one of the the big things that, that is going to come out of COVID work as well, I think, is the need for us to understand the experience in communities and the experience in groups and the structural issues that were there. Yeah, and that it's
0: not enough in social work just to work with the person in front of you. You have to think about the whole context yeah and
1: and how they fit in Um, and I think that has been I think that was lost a bit over the managerial period where we kind of went into really focusing on the individual and uh, focusing on um, outputs I guess rather than outcomes and I think there's been a a big step back to claim that idea that systems way of working Um, and last but not least of course is anti-discriminatory practice and anti-oppressive practice Um, And these both have developed from the 1970s. And the anti-discriminatory practice focuses on actually opposing discrimination. And anti-oppressive practice is more about combating the processes of oppression and exclusion.
0: Yeah, but both of them have this in common of of the need to look at not just the individual, but also the cultural behaviours and the structural elements. For me, this is all about being very aware of where power is sitting
1: and um, how much you have personally and how much others have and how much structural power there is in each of the systems and how we can access it.
0: So in terms of what this looks like in practice, I mean, you picked up role modeling um, and I think that that is where we start, isn't it? It's role modeling, a willingness and um, a proactive kind of engagement and um, Taking action personally to critically reflect and recognise discrimination in ourselves and in others and understanding not just our biases, um, but also our privileges. And I think we also need to be really aware that many social workers themselves experience discrimination and oppression. So as a kind of collegiate profession, we need to be really aware of what's happening with our peers um, mm. And one of the things that I found helpful thinking about this um, is that we reflect on the way that advantages as well as disadvantages done, as well as disadvantages are conferred on people, uh, and and distinguish between um, positive advantages, which is things that we can share and can spread, um, so we can spread. Um, Ways that people, for example, might be socially mobile, might be able to take opportunities and and, um, enhance their well-being. Um, But there were also negative advantages, which are kind of exclusionary advantages that because I'm doing well, you're not. And trying to distinguish between those and really understanding um, how those interact with people. Mm. You just put me
1: straight into... um the Some of the environments we work in, and thinking about as as a practitioner how you can experience um, advantages and disadvantages, and also the difference between social workers and perhaps other professionals, because one of the things, because we work with social care staff um, more broadly, it's interesting how many times people will say to me that they feel that social work social workers confer a privilege on themselves that they're not part of. So it just it kind of took me to this conversation I was having with a family worker who was saying, "I'm thinking of doing a social work degree because I'm sick of being ignored." Yeah, um, and also, yeah. social
0: workers feel that in relation to others, don't they? Yeah, um, that's. Yeah, I had a really wonderful supervisor when I was a newly qualified social worker, and on our supervision agenda, we always had anti-oppressive practice. And she would ask me for experiences: um, what, yeah, when, since last supervision, had I encountered oppression? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for myself or for others, um, where had I sort of observed it? Where had it been? With the expectation mm-hmm. that it would have been around. Yeah. And I found that so helpful, and I worked in a hospital actually, so all those dynamics of interprofessional and um you know staff patient mm-hmm. patient client customer uh you know next of kin not next of kin hierarchies in in the whole- yeah you know, all over the place they all they all were all in place, so actually it was it was really essential for me navigating that context, but I just think it's a really good practice.
1: And and that sounds to me like that's something I've never experienced in my supervision and something that I think would be wonderful to experience in supervision. And this has really sparked off an awareness for me that I think I've been blind to until this conversation, which is about the actual experience of the social worker as a person, sometimes of powerlessness or of, discrimin- of of being discriminated against themselves i've always had the focus
0: on other does that make sense yes it does and i think it's it's all it's the the 360 view isn't it um mm-hmm.
1: yeah um yeah, really helpful thank you jerry
0: it was denise rawlings was her name great supervisor yeah,
1: Let's give her a shout out. And from now on, I can tell you in my um, supervision training, I'm going to be record,
0: I'm going to be putting a session in talking about this very thing. Um, and then the, the next kind of big area is taking action, isn't it? And you wrote a really great forward to the equality and diversity training session mm. that we did. Yes, so.
1: yes. So um, I, I was kind of trying to think about what this what it looked like and so for me it was like uh, one of the big struggles for us as social workers is how we open ourselves up to different viewpoints experiences and voices in a way that challenges the status quo and the status quo is part of what works against people being equal and diversity being appreciated and accepted as positive so once we've kind of achieved opening ourselves up to diverse viewpoints and we can start to see all the structural inequalities that are built into the systems that keep different people in different places, then we really need to say to ourselves, well, what can I do about it? And I kind of started thinking, well, this action actually requires a really ruthless self-audit. Where do we have power? What structures have we put in place in our lives that might impact on others unfairly? How are we challenging and changing organisational and group behaviour? And then how are we challenging and changing our own behavior? To look at yourself in relation to this topic, actually, you require courage and commitment. And it's not about blaming yourself or kind of naming so many things that you start to feel powerless or any of those things. It's about actually going, okay, why did I do that? What impact might have it had on others and what could I do to mitigate that impact or to change my behaviour if it's unfair. And I think if you're privileged, you need to acknowledge that you're part of the problem and that you can't avoid complicity and injustice while also fighting it, and that comes from um, an article by Matthews, 2013. Someone actually always benefits from other people not being treated equally or being excluded, and sometimes those people are us, and I've definitely been in that situation many times in my life. Um so and I yeah. do
0: like the idea of a ruthless self audit, um, and an informed one as well, and going and finding out more about um what's going on, um, if you if you do have privilege and and not kind of there was a really wonderful podcast by Rennie Edo Lodge about being always asked the question of by people of privilege, you know, what should I do? And mm. feeling really exhausted. Um, by that but also that it's an unfair question to ask someone else you have to ask yourself that Mm. because you know what your power is and what your situation is and what you can do Um, so self-audit is is a really yeah it's a a crucial step isn't it
1: it really is and then acting on it and acting on it in a proportional way once again I would always advocate that we're always proportional in our responses um, and that things we do are meaningful and helpful not tokenistic, because that's the other thing. Sometimes we do things and they're actually the easiest thing to do and they're not always as helpful.
0: Yeah, they might as... turn out to be quite superficial, mightn't they, like yeah. responding to a symptom of the problem rather than actually digging into
1: yeah, and I think this is particularly important professionally as a social worker. Professionally, you saw you saw what the ethics said. We, we, you know, if we go right back up to what we started with, when we said when we made all those I statements, I will model critically reflective practice and support others to recognise and challenge discrimination, identifying and taking professional action. To be able to do that modelling, you have to be able to do the self audit of where in my professional practice, are there things that I can do differently or more helpfully to ensure that um, I'm not disadvantaging the people that I'm working with, and that includes my colleagues, my peers and um, the clients.
0: Yeah, so there's some kind of key messages for practice um, that we would advocate firstly to talk about identity and inclusion and exclusion to explicitly understand who people are and what their experience is and try and capture their whole story or understand and relate to their whole story Um, when we're making judgments like assessments or safeguarding plans Mm -hmm. to think about social determinants and structural issues not just looking at an individual's um, behavioural circumstances and wider kind of planning and professional activity, whether that's in our teams or in our services or as a profession as a whole, need to respond to individual and social determinants? So what happens to people, but also what's the context of that? What are the structural things around that? And, and I think that's where kind of collective action to advocate alongside people who are experts mm-hmm. by experience. Uh, is really important so that we can inform policy and practice developments. So
1: some things that can help, though, and this tool, I believe, is very helpful, Um, and this is the Social Graces, and they were developed by John Burnham and his colleagues. And if you haven't heard of them, it's worth looking. Um, Burnham 2013 will find you if you look up the development of the Social Graces. And in there, the Graces are gender, geography, race, religion, age, ability, appearance, accent, class, culture, ethnicity, employment, education, sexuality, sexual orientation, spirituality and something else that we haven't covered there. And the and the idea with the social graces is for you, first of all, to think to yourself, do I know which, what, what every one of those means and how they're different from each other? And then secondly, which of those graces are most important to you? About you, which which stand up uh, to you. How do other people describe you? And what aspect of your social graces are visible and invisible, or voiced and unvoiced? And if you use the social graces with that, um, the window, which is the visible, invisible, voiced and unvoiced, it can be really
0: helpful in your practice. So this is about thinking about your closest relationships, um, personal as well as professional, and then thinking about. How diverse are the people that you're close to? Um, it was actually used in a in a Baswa training day that I was at. Um, what difference would it make if you were close to more diverse people? And then you have the opportunity, once you've thought about that for yourself, to kind of discuss in groups um, what you've learned, really, and and what that might mean for your life and for your professional practice. And certainly when I did it, obviously, I realised that um, the, the people that I was closest to It's a very undiverse group. Um, It's primarily relatives. Um, So thinking about how you can kind of expand that. And um, again, it's about the window that you talk about having more viewpoints.
1: Yeah, I I think this is so powerful. If you want to start your ruthless self audit, check your circle. It's so helpful. And I thought I had a really diverse circle. Um, And I do, if you count lots and lots of Western European people. Yeah, it's worth thinking about. And then the, the last thing is really that, that questioning of yourself. It, it just, we, we need to try to be awake to our behaviour as often as we can be, and we really need to think about what, what can we do to value and enable the voices of others um, and to let people have space to
0: share the view from our window. So we have a couple of reflective questions for listeners as well. And the first one is, what's your own or my yeah. own story of identity? And so you could use the graces to think about that. Mm. And then how do the people that I work with experience identity and belonging? This this was really... They're good questions,
1: Jerry, and this has been a really interesting um, podcast for me personally. Yes. And everybody out there, keep safe, be well, and you know we're we're thinking of of everybody, I guess, in this in these times because we're still having a really tough time around the world with COVID nineteen. So, yeah, to all of our colleagues, we send our our best wishes and affection.